Well, I, as I'm opening up my notes and everything here, I just want to say what an honor it is to share the stage this morning with our dear friends that we have been getting to know. And it's just so cool when you know God's gifting in your friends and they're walking in it. And it's just so fun. I'm already having a fun day. <laughs> the worship. God be lifted high. So my prayer this morning is that, Jesus, your name be lifted high and you draw on the hearts of the people here. That's my prayer. So um, <laughs> we are continuing this. Now, I'm going to bring the Kleenex up here because I can feel it already. Um, we have been continuing this uh, series here, the house that God, the house that God's building. What's it say? The house that God is building, yes. But I need to remind you of something because you know how we kind of, sometimes we come in and out of church and we don't necessarily um, are in an entire series. But just in the last five weeks, we have had Mark Cargill come. A friend of this house, a personal friend of Pastor Justin and Kara's, and, and he's um, cast vision. He's stirred us up. He's confirmed the word. We've had um, the word brought in this series by Pastor Justin and Pastor Ryan. Have you been challenged? Have you thought about the word? It should stir you. It should. <laughs> so the word's being stirred. It's being confirmed. It's being prophesied. And then we have a women's and men's word retreat separately where strongholds are being broken, lives are being changed, there's fruit, there's evidence of that. And here's that we had water baptism last week. Our children are getting water baptized. We had a baby dedication. We are, we're, we're raising up these beams and building a foundation in our families. We're coming together as a body of, of Christ, and we're building the house that God has built. Amen. Just in these, these few short weeks, it's been so exciting. And then um, we had the carpets cleaned. <laughs> Is it, isn't cleanliness next to godliness? I'm telling you, those Capri Sun and cocoa stains are out of the children's annex carpet. And I'm, um, so, and then finally, just a few days ago, we, we had a great time honoring and celebrating our volunteers. And we spent an hour laughing. <sighs> that was so good. Loved it. So in all of that, we want to be found doing the work of the Lord. I mean, we, we really do. But we don't want to be busy for busy's sake. We want to be doing what God's asked us to do. Because how many of you know we can, honestly, we can be busy doing good things. I mean, isn't it good to have an event and preach the word and go out on a mission trip? But this is what I am discovering is even though it's a good thing, if the Holy Spirit hasn't asked you to do it, there could be some challenges in that. So when you're building a house, you better have a plan, and you better be in really good communication with the contractor. 
So in that, you, you buy permits. It's going to cost you. I want to tell you right now, at the end of my message, I'm going to be very bold, and I'm going to address two groups of people. But there is a cost. And we don't take our relationship with Jesus lightly. And I want you to consider the cost. You've got to know when you build a house or you remodel it, there is some financial commitments. Consider the cost. That's what I'm asking you to do. You may also find some mold, some termites. We're tearing down those walls. And some newspaper. Have you ever found a newspaper or a little note tucked in, a little time capsule in these older houses remodeling? You know what that does? It, it, it communicates history and background, and that's really important too. I think it's important when you're building the house that God wants you to build that you just don't only focus on the present, but you've got to understand big picture in history. It, you, we honor history moving forward with God. So with all of that now, I want to also remind you three challenging questions Pastor Justin brought to us a few weeks ago. What are some new foundations that God wants to establish in my life that he's called the church to be? What extras have I put on the church, on church people, that God's grace has not put on them? What walls or foundations have been built up in my life that need to be torn down so that God can build some new ones? I hope you've been thinking about those. That was just, what, two weeks ago that he charged this congregation to consider those questions as we're going through this series. Those are important questions. It is true that God uses broken people to accomplish his perfect plan. So his great invitation is this. Come as you are. Encounter me, and then get changed and transformed. There are no prerequisites to coming before the Father. The invitation is come. So the message of my um, message of my sermon this morning is building the house that God is building. The great invitation. Throughout the entire Bible, God uses um, broken people. And we see that God's invitation is first to come into relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ, and then partner with him to advance his kingdom. So there are two, really, two sets of people. And I'm, I'm going to guess, statistically in a crowd this size, most of you all know Jesus. But I'm really hoping some don't yet. I hope you're here working this out, getting more information. Because when we say yes to the Lord, the, the next invitation is this, Lynette, will you partner with me? 
do you trust me in your marriage? The invitation's continual. Do you trust me with your children? Do you, will you release your kids to me and allow me to work through them? I will use you, but you are not in control of your kids. So the invitation, again, is coming into relationship with the Lord, trusting him as we move in and out of these seasons of our lives. So I want to read chapter 16 of Acts, the entire chapter. So we have lots of slides this morning. And I'm just going to let the word do its job and then stop and make some observations. I love this chapter, but this is what I need to say before what, what all is going on here. Okay, we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, the good news. We sang about the good news this morning. Crucified, risen. We talked about the power. This is the good news. So in the book of Acts, this is Luke's um, continued book. Luke wrote Acts. This is the Acts of the Apostles. So you have to understand, this is the first century church being built And Jesus said he was going to the cross. He he was crucified. He said, stay here. I'm going to the Father, but I'm sending the Holy Spirit. And so the book of Acts is the power of the Holy Spirit coming in and the Acts of the Apostles building the house. And so I want to look at this as not that we do exactly what they did, but there are biblical principles, and God will give you revelation about this house and this house. So I want to, I want to read Acts 16. I'm reading out of the NIV, and this is what I noticed um, this morning. So I have an NIV Bible, but the NIV text is a newer NIV all these versions, oh my gosh. So some of my words, even though I'm reading out of the NIV, is going to be a little different than the slide. So sorry about the chapter. So um, let's read Acts chapter 16, verse 1. He came to Derby, then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewess and a believer, and whose father was a Greek. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted him wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because the Jews who lived in the area, for they knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in their faith, and they grew daily in numbers. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia, Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithia, but the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mycenae and went down to Troas. And during the night, Paul had a vision. And it was a man in Macedonia standing and begging him to come. Come and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready once and left for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we went out to the sea straight uh, for Samothrace, and the next day to Neapolis. 
From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city, the district in Macedonia, and we stayed for several days. And on the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to a river where we expected to find a place of prayer. And we sat down, and we began to speak to the woman who had gathered there. And one of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira. Sounds like a rock band out of the 70s. Okay. Um, from Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. I'm just going to pause there. This is what I want you to see in this uh, these scriptures. Clearly, we've got missionary work going on. Three times in the beginning, these guys were so close to the Lord that they recognized the Holy Spirit saying, go here, go there. Because honestly, isn't it a good thing that all people hear this good news? We are fresh off the resurrection. Why in the world would the Holy Spirit say, mm, no, do not go there? Why would the Spirit of Jesus say, no, 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 not there? Why would, why would the Lord give Paul a vision and say, come, I am begging you, come to Macedonia? So my, 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 my question to you is this, in doing good, please hear the word of the Lord. We have to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit because there's a much, 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 much bigger plan going on. And if we just trust the Lord, I know I, if you're like me, it's like, okay, why? I got to figure this out. I don't know what's going to happen. This is really scary. No, just, Lynette, do this, please. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. So we've got missionary work. They're, they're um, listening to the Lord. They go to Macedonia, and this is where we meet Lydia. So this is another observation that I had. Isn't this interesting? It says that she's a worshiper, but she doesn't necessarily believe. So let me read the scripture. She could take it a couple different ways. I'm a, kind of a grammar geek. And so we don't have like a semicolon or a comma in this. And, and so I'm going to read this, but I want to say, could it possibly be this? So... One listening was a woman named Lydia. Uh, verse 14, we're, we're still the bit that I um, read here. Um, okay. Sorry, where am I? Oh, okay, yes. A dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira who was a worshiper of God. Doesn't say, then the Lord opened her heart. However, the Lord opened her heart. It just says she was a worshiper of her God, period. The Lord, period, Lynette, don't insert a then. The Lord opened her heart. Can you come to church and go through the motions and not have a soft heart toward the Lord. The Pharisees and the Sadducees certainly did. 
They did all the protocol. The priests did everything required. The leaders of the church did everything. And yet, so now, remember, we're now, we're in first century church. There was such a resistance still to open your heart to the Holy Spirit. So Lydia was a worship of the Lord, but then the Lord softened her heart. And then what happens? She and her family get baptized. She persuades Paul and his friends to come to my house. And we know, as we move through, through the word of God, she becomes, becomes one of Paul's number one supporters in his mission work. Carrying on. Uh, 16. Once we were going to the place of prayer where we met a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future, and she earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. I just need to stop there. I live in Renton, and along the Benson on the way to Kent, and even coming out this way, there are three psychic fortune-telling places. There's like, they're popping up like pothouses now. It's crazy. I just want to say this. People are hungry. Do not be deceived that, like, you're going to be following some spirit. People are hungry. People pay money so they can have a person tell them what their future is. There is a, especially in this geographical area, there is a hunger for the spirit. Now, we carry the Holy Spirit. We need to dispense the Holy Spirit because people are hungry. Um, hope dealers. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, okay, so this girl was following Paul and the rest and shouting. This is what she was shouting. These men are servant of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days, and finally Paul became so troubled. I think this says annoyed. I like that version a little better. It's like, seriously, Paul, he just turns around, and he commands his demon to come out of this girl. He's just had enough. He's had enough with these demons moving through this girl, um, stirring up things. Now, when Paul casts this demon out of this girl, now, well, we got some trouble. So finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and dragged him into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews. They are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. And the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been uh, severely flogged, they were thrown into prison with the jailer and commanded um, a guard was commanded to guard them carefully. And upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and he fastened their feet in stocks. I want to, I want to know, ask you a question. Did you notice what the charges were? 
the charges brought against Paul and Silas. I'm laughing because it's just so human, these charges. Because what logically you think would be a charge, like a legit charge, they're accused of being Jews. That's the charge. And they're, they're, stern, they're challenging our Roman customs. I want you to strip them, beat them, and throw them in jail, which, by the way, was illegal. We'll discover that here in a minute. But this is the charge brought against them. Um, it was emotional response of self-preservation, self-protection, prejudice, and patriotism. That's what that was. It's illegal. Uh, Paul and Silas were unjustly thrown in prison. Um, I just thought that was an interesting observation. Verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. This Suddenly, there was a violent earthquake, and the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword, and he was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for the lights, rushed in, fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and he asked, sirs, here's the invitation. What must I do to be saved? I don't know how many times I've read that, but there's certain words or phrases that I just, it goes, it just, whew, takes my breath away. Because I've asked this question. Not exactly like that. But I've asked this question. You all should be pining to hear people in your life ask this question. This is the great invitation. If you are in relationship with Jesus, you know how important this question is. And we should be pining. We should be looking for opportunities to hear this question. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and the others in the household. At the hour of that night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately, he and his family were baptized. And we got another group of people getting baptized. The jailer brought them into the house, set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. So this is really what the Lord spoke to me about in the middle of this story. In our pain and suffering, let the praises go up. God inhabits the praise of his people. Stand back 
and be amazed. <clears throat> Paul and Silas stayed. Now, I don't know about you, but when my cell door would have swung open and my shackles came off, I'm running. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting out of there. But this is what the Holy Spirit calls his people to do. Trust me and stay put. Do not look at your circumstances. I have this under control. I need you to hear my voice and do it immediately. So you're going to stay. And you've got to trust me. Whew, so this, this is not my notes. I just feel like I need to say this. You know who I'm talking to. Stay in your marriage. Some of you see the opportunity to beat feet, fly out the door. I am challenging you. Hear my heart. Stay put. Some of you have heard that message and you haven't. It's been really hard. We have been through a lot in the last three years of this body. And I want to tell you something. Right before Acts chapter 16, chapter 15, we have a parting of ways in a severe disagreement between two godly men. Right before this chapter, this is what's happened. And people remained. When you remain in, right, in, right in line with the Holy Spirit, it's uncomfortable, but God will work it out. He, I promise you he will work it out. Now, I have been on the flip side of that. I'm like, no, I'm out of here. I have. I have. I, in my 20s, I was a hot mess. I didn't know how to hear from the Lord. I thought I did. I got saved when I was 20. Um, but I had to work out a lot of things, and I have abandoned the voice of the Lord for my own self-preservation. I will totally say that right now. I've done it more than once. But maturity and growth in Christ says this, God, I trust you. I will stay put. And look what happens. The jailer gets saved. His family gets saved. Everybody in the jail cell stays put, and they listen to the word of the Lord. It's amazing to think about how we let go of self-preservation and trust the Lord. So, really quick, Peter, come, get out of the boat. David had an opportunity to kill Saul in the cave. It, circumstantially, that makes sense. Like, he's slotted to be the next king. The current king is trying to kill his life. The king comes into the cave. Oh, I'm going to seize the opportunity. But he says, no. The spirit of the Lord says, no, don't you dare touch him. Let me work this out. So there's lots and lots of examples in the word where he calls his people to stay and remain and hear his voice and follow the voice of the Lord. And that's, a, that's a, an ongoing exercise process that we just need to continually do. Okay. So. Have you ever thought about what you're being saved 
from or to. So here's the question. What must I do to be saved? From what? To, to whom? This is the great invitation, and this is where the rubber meets the road. You are an object of God's wrath. I do not know how else to say this before you know him. You are a sinner in need of a savior. That's it. So you're being saved from God's wrath because God is just, not because he's mean. He cannot have sin in his presence. And remember, let me remind you, we're coming right off of Jesus' resurrection. This is the good news 2,000 years ago. It's the good news right at this moment. It is his blood, his sacrifice on the cross that washes us, purifies us, and gets us back into right relationship and alignment with our Father. That's it. So what must I do to be saved from God's wrath? Because you are an object of God's wrath. That's why Jesus came to do what he did. So we have the perfect sacrifice. We don't have to check all these boxes off and go through this religious stuff. Thank you. It's good news. It's good news. So what must I do to be saved from myself, from sin, from eternal separation from God, from his wrath, is believe. In, in conclusion with this, verse 35, I just love this boldness. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with an order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. No, Paul's not going to go. This is what he says. Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens, and he, they threw us in prison. And now, do they want to get rid of us quietly? Who oh, no. Let, us come in, let them come in and escort us out of the city. I just think that's really bold. Yeah. I would again, again, gone, okay, I'm getting out of here. Okay, I saw a guy, you did your miracle, I'm, I'm, I'm out of here. It's just that... The passionate restraint. I mean, it's just so good. Like, God gives us passion for suffering, passion for people, but it's restrained by the Holy Spirit and then poof, released. So that's what happened. When they heard, <laughs> the, the, the government officials, um, the officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from prison, requesting them to leave. And after Paul and Silas came out of prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and encouraged them, and then they left. Paul and Silas encouraged the brothers. And we wrap this chapter up back at Lydia's house. So if I could have the worship team come up, please. This is what I would like you to think about. 
We have a slave girl, a jailer, and a wealthy businesswoman who all heard the word of the Lord and responded. We have Paul, Silas, and these brothers listening to the Holy Spirit, serving the people through. If you do not know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, if you have not exchanged your life for his, I'm not talking about adding him on a Sunday morning or when things get tough, but in exchange, you've counted the costs, you've got mold and termites, but Jesus says, come as you are, I love you, today is your day. Today is your day. What's the alternative? Think about that. Count the costs. Think about Jesus and what he did for you and why he did it and what the benefits are. And then for the rest of us who have a relationship with Jesus, whether it's a year or 60, 70 years, there's always opportunity to grow and learn, shake off some dust, do a little polishing. I want us to declare this morning, Jesus is Lord. You, you are Lord of my life. Will you please stand? Just sing quietly in the background. Thank you, Father. to speak to us. Lord, I grieve that as we lift you up, you will draw the hearts of man. So what is the Holy Spirit saying to you this morning? Is the great invitation for you right now come? Today is your day. If you've entered that invitation, is it another invitation? Will you allow me to work in your marriage? Will you allow me to use you in ministry again? Will you allow me to work on your anger, your life-controlling issues, 
Holy Spirit, thank you for being so kind to us, so good. We declare, Lord, that you are Lord of our lives. We do believe that you sacrificed yourself for us so that we may live. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for sending the Holy Spirit. Thank you for challenging us and growing us up and maturing us. I just release my friends in this church body and I say, be blessed, prosper, and go in the name of Jesus Christ.